Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us to discuss where the city is in the COVID-19 pandemic and how this weekend went with all of that nice weather. Premier Ford announces that anybody in Ontario can now get tested for COVID-19. How much of an impact will the Premier's message have on the public, particularly people that are still worried about going out? And the debate over the future of Parliament during the pandemic resumes today. Henry Jasek, political science professor, will join us. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's get an update on what's happening locally. It was a uh, nice weekend, a lovely weekend, a very spring-like weekend, the one we've been all been dreaming of for the longest time. Uh, but we were warned uh, beforehand uh, by medical officers of health and, and others that, look, it, you've got to maintain physical distancing. This is still COVID-19. It's still out there. So how do we fare in this city? Uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us to give us an update on that. Mr. Mayor, how are you doing today? I, I am great, uh, Bill. I had a had a great weekend. Uh, I got some tennis in that, that I've been longing to do, and I'm sure lots of other people got some activities in that they haven't been able to do for a while. So things are looking up, but uh, uh, I think the city as a whole did uh, did a great job in terms of uh, physical distancing. I didn't see any of the kinds of images that we saw in Toronto or in the United, in, in the United States and on the beaches. So uh, so far, so good. Yeah, apparently the uh, the golf courses were crowded, uh, and uh, and with everybody following the rules and, and all these other things. i, I got to tell you one thing, and I, as you were going about, one of the things that I, I find bothersome, like I say, I, I don't really get out a whole lot, but when I do, I don't see a whole lot of people that are using personal protective equipment, uh, in i.e. face masks or gloves. And I was in, I didn't go in the store, I just uh, was parked at the store, the grocery store on the weekend. I was there for about 45 minutes or so, I guess. Uh, while my wife went in to get some groceries, and mm-hmm. Rebecca was, she's in there. And, and I, I, the people all like, came and went. I, I think two of them uh, had gloves or masks on. The rest of them just figured this is just another day in paradise, and, and it's not. It's This is I, I, very concerning, I think, Mr. Mayor, that I think a lot of people here just figure this is over now and we can just get back to life the way it was. Uh, that is, you're, you're 100% right. That isn't the case. Uh, so, you know, it depends on where you go, I guess, because uh, I've seen a lot of people out, uh, you know, with masks on. But, you know, is it, uh, the, the problem is it's not yet mandatory. It's a, It's a recommendation. Uh, I would say that anyone that's at risk, uh, if you're older and if you're, uh, you have underlying health issues, uh, you know, you absolutely should be wearing a mask no matter where you are. Uh, that's just the smart thing to do. Uh, for others, uh, you know, they, the physical distancing and hand washing seems to be the, uh, the, 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 the ticket to uh, eliminating this virus over the long run. And so uh, that, that's, that's the, the most important part. But masking up, if you're a store owner, and you're not wearing masks, uh, and you're not requiring people to physically distance, uh, you need to be reported because there are regulations in place that uh, that require you to not only protect your employees but also protect the customers. So if you're not doing it, first of all, it's bad for business because uh, if, if I were a, a customer and I, I, I walked into an establishment that wasn't doing the physical distancing and protecting others, I'm not going back there. So they're uh, they're limiting their own opportunity, and and the reality is that uh, people can complain as they should. Uh, get a hold of nine zero five five four six city or two six eight nine. Let us know where that is, and we can send some public health folks or bylaw folks down there to ensure they do the right thing. So we're we're really reliant on uh, the good sense of the people out there to make you know, wise decisions in terms of how they perform in our, in our community. And if you're 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 looking at a park. And it's got too many people in it. Don't go there. If the, if the, the trails and the, uh, at the at the waterfront are crowded and uh, people aren't physically separating, then go somewhere else. 
uh, and all the people that are not taking those physical distancing measures, uh, they're putting themselves and others at risk and uh, prolonging this, uh, you know, this virus containment, uh, you know, approach that we're, we're struggling through right now for, uh, for much, much, much longer. And uh, if, we, if we can all do the work that we're asked to do, uh, we can actually curtail this and shorten this better. Do you get the sense, though, that because uh, some of the projections and predictions, I suppose, that we heard in February were, were pretty dire and pretty daunting, uh, we never got to those numbers. And, and I like to think, well, I, I know more than just to think about this, because Dr. Richardson herself told us uh, that one of the reasons why the numbers weren't as bad is because we, as a, as a, co- a community, followed the rules by and large. Uh, and we did social distancing, and we did uh, isolation when necessary, and those sorts of things, as, which is what the numbers down. But I, I'm getting the sense there's a segment of the population out there that says, "See, this is just much ado about nothing," you know. Which, and I'm seeing that in some of the social media posts. That's a pretty dangerous attitude, isn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly is, and an unfortunate one. And, and it really is, uh, you know, has, has a kind of a disregard for your fellow citizens and. Uh, you know your belligerence and your 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 lack of uh, maintaining that social distancing. You you could be the carrier that brings this to other people, and you have no idea that you have it. Uh, you know I, I you know for those that don't understand why this is important today, uh, you know you must be living under a rock somewhere. And for those that are just saying the heck with it, uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, you know that's just not going to be possible, and uh, we need to make sure that you come into line. You know the the. the the beauty of it is that in Canada, we are much more uh, uh, reliant on our public health and, and much more adhering to the kinds of recommendations they're making, as opposed to what you're seeing in the United States. And I don't want people to kind of transport what's happening in the United States to Canada. You know, the United States is the uh, the home of the free and, uh, and you know, built on uh, independence. And uh, I can do what I want to do, and you can't tell me any different. And there are far too many people that have that attitude in the United States that uh, causes them to uh, just b- basically thumb their nose at uh, good judgment and thumb their nose at the rules and regs that, that the Dr. Fauci is trying to get them to adhere to. And uh, makes it very, very difficult for the country to actually come together and, uh, and, and, and have a concerted attack against this virus. Uh, in Canada, we're different. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've done we've fared much, much, much better. Uh, Hamilton, uh, especially, and and you're right. It's it's only because the people did what they were asked to do. Uh, they, by and large, maintained that physical distancing, and you know we've had a limited amount of death. So twenty twenty three, or I think twenty eight at this point. Uh, you know, families have lost a loved one, and uh, a lot of them have been in long term care facilities and congregate settings, unfortunately. Some of them have not been, and uh, that's unfortunate as well. Our condolences goes to those families. But in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, it, it, it's been a minor negative impact on, on death. And, uh, and the, we have not overrun our health care system, which was the, the, the biggest worry. And we you know, could have very easily have gotten into the position where we would have been like Italy, where we would have had to make choices between giving you know, this person a ventilator and this person not, because there, there wasn't enough equipment to go around. Fortunately, because we've been able to flatten the curve and uh, because we've been able to stock up, that uh, we're in a much better position now that if there's a spike, and it's certainly anticipated that there will be, that, uh, that we're able to, to deal with that with all the proper equipment in place and the capacity in the healthcare system to be able to manage it all. There are little blips of, of information here that I think are very, very telling about that too, Mr. Mayor. And uh, we saw this late last week uh, as we were looking at some of the statistics. And uh, uh, as, as, as this was, of course, the Ontario uh, Medical Officer of Health, uh, Dr. Wood, that was giving his update. 
And he, at that time, said that there was a, a significant spike, not monumental, but a significant spike in the number of, of, of confirmed cases uh, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of last week. And somebody asked him why, and he says, he says, go back 14 days. It was Mother's Day weekend, and people said, to hell with it, we're going out to visit family, and you saw a spike. So, I mean, that tells us that even if we think, oh, this one time it'll be okay, there are ramifications to that. That if we're going to just let the rules down for just a little bit, you're running the risk of increasing it again, which is only going to delay the, the time that we can actually get out of this. Exactly, and uh, you know, there, the, as, as you point out, there's a lag time. So uh, you know, we, uh, you know, I, 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 I hearken back to uh, New York State and the mistake that they made by allowing St. Patrick's Day celebrations to happen, and and the cause for all of their trouble up until now has been the, as a result of. Parties everywhere in all the bars and restaurants, like it was just a normal day, and all of that that virus spread through all of that community. They all take it home, and voila! Within a couple of weeks, you've got a massive outbreak of this uh, virus, and and they're overrunning their healthcare system. It can it can turn on a dime. So, if tomorrow our, our community at large decides that we're done with this, uh, we're frustrated, we've had enough, uh, we're just going to do what we do. You can rest assured that two weeks from now, we are going to see a significant spike in uh, in cases as well. And we're going to be at the very same scenario of potentially overrunning our healthcare system and then having to make those ugly choices. There is no vaccine. Uh, there is no viable treatment right now. Most people, fortunately, uh, that get this uh, are not going to be at death's door. But there are many in our community that have underlying health issues and are either older and have underlying health issues that are going to be given a death sentence if this virus spreads uncontrollably in our community. And uh, no one should want that. We all have parents. We all have grandparents. We all have children with health issues. And, you know, we're now, we're now learning that uh, in New York State that children are, are developing this, uh, this immune you know, muscle disease as a result of contracting covid uh, 19 and, uh, and and putting them in peril. And so this this virus uh, has a mutating life. Uh, I wish we could say that uh, that everyone's got a handle on how this is going to spread or not spread. I, I don't think anyone knows the answer right now. Every, the answer that people do know is physical distancing, hand washing, and now wearing a mask as much as possible are, are going to be the way that we can uh, manage this virus going forward. Uh, beyond that, if we relax, uh, we're going to get ourselves into a whole world of trouble and put ourselves in peril. With that in mind, and, and I know you're going to get an update in just a few days here, but some of the numbers over the last four or five days, uh, and hopefully there aren't going to be any spikes. I know but there have been some concerns about some of the numbers lately. They're, they're not bad, but they're not as good as, as I know you or Dr. Richardson would like to see. Uh, yep. Have you considered the option or talked to, with the option when you're talking about your emergency task force here? about maybe instead of relaxing some of these, that maybe we've got to get back to the way we were like three or four weeks ago. I don't know anybody that wants to see that happen, but if the numbers continue to go up, we're putting ourselves in a rather precarious position, I would think. Yeah, exactly, and I think they're certainly uh, prepared for that. Uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, let's let's see what happens here. I mean, I uh, you know, I was on the tennis courts, and everyone was quite cautious of, uh, of uh, physical distancing, uh, you know, Staying apart, uh, even when they're coming into the uh, the field to play, uh, you know, people were staying you know well apart from another. So there's, everyone has got it on their mind, and I think everyone understands. Most everyone understands what needs to happen here, but the impact of uh, you know this opening in the last uh, you know week or so, and uh, with all of the uh, the uh, you know dog leash free parks and uh, all of the trails and now all of the tennis courts and, and golf courses, that impact we will see 
you know, two weeks from now, two or three weeks from now, we'll get a sense of whether or not everyone uh, has managed this appropriately or this has caused, uh, you know, a further outbreak. And we'll see that in the data. And so, uh, you know, I think this whole process is a wait and see process. Try, 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 try to open up some things, see how that works out, make sure people are doing the right thing. And if it doesn't lead to an additional spike, then you can look at some other aspects of it. So I, I think it's data driven. Uh, what we committed to between the greater Toronto, Hamilton and area mayors, Toronto, uh, you know, Brampton, uh, uh, Mississauga, Oakville, that we would be guided by the public health recommendations. So, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is, it might feel good to start opening things up, but it might cause us more harm going down the road. And so let's have public health tell us whether we're on the right path or on the wrong path. And if we're on the wrong path, then let's pull back and let's uh, not keep putting people at risk and uh, get back to a scenario where we're a little bit more cloistered than we are right now. Nobody wants to be there. I don't want to be there. Uh, and it, it's re- totally reliant on people out there in the community taking accessing these great facilities enjoying themselves, but doing it safely. Well, and your point's well taken. Uh, doctor after doctor have told us this ever since we started dealing with this, is that, uh, as you mentioned, nine times out of ten, I mean, if, if you do get the virus, you, you may feel crappy for a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, actually, uh, based on some of the stories we've heard. It, but you'll probably get over it, hopefully with no long-term ramifications. But you don't know who you're going to pass it on to. Uh, you know, it could be somebody who's dealing with an autoimmune disease, which means it's going to affect them and could kill them. It could be somebody who's receiving cancer treatments. They're at risk, too. There's so many different people walking around right now. They don't wear a sign that says, hey, I'm taking chemo, or hey, I uh, I have scleroderma, or hey, I have the... You don't know. Uh, so, and, and I had one healthcare worker call the other day and simply said, you know, how insulting it is. I mean, we're busting our you-know-whats in, in the hospitals right now, and these people are basically thumbing their nose and say, we really don't care. I mean, that's that's not the message we should be sending. Not at all, and uh, I can totally understand the healthcare workers. I mean, every day they're, you know, you, you think about the healthcare worker that goes to the hospital and has family for all intents and purposes, they have to isolate themselves at home because they don't want to bring what uh, what they have, uh, you know, either picked up or, or, or bumped into at the hospital to their house. So they find a way of isolating themselves in their home to try and keep all of this away from their from their children or from their uh, their their spouses. Very very awkward situation. You hear you hear talk of uh, you know healthcare workers you know living in a trailer next to their house. Yeah, they don't want to bring that virus into the into the home because they know what it can do, and so you know the same attitude has to prevail, uh, you know, throughout the community. You you have to assume that you are a carrier of that virus, whether you whether you think you have it or whether you you know you don't. Uh, you you it could be on you, it could be on your hands. You could have touched something and then touched something else. And if you're in close proximity to other people, that virus then that's the that's the way this virus spreads. And then you're putting others at risk. So assume you are the carrier that can give it to someone, and do everything humanly possible to keep your distance, wear that mask so that you don't share that uh, that that that. You know, the particles that, that that come out of your mouth and out of your breath, uh, and uh, and and don't go in for the hug with the family uh, because well we've been isolating and you know and things should be okay. You know what? At this point in time, to stick with the uh, the public health protocols, uh, there there will be there will be a time where we're beyond this, uh, where there's a vaccine vaccine available, and hopefully we're we're you know all vaccinated and we don't have to worry about this virus, uh, but. While that isn't hasn't happened yet, and uh, and predictions are that you know for a year that that's not likely to happen any anytime soon within the year, then uh, let's just maintain these protocols and get used to 
you know, making sure that distancing is, is the order of the day, no matter where you go, no matter where you shop, no matter who you bump into. Uh, you know what? You can talk to someone from six or seven feet away. That's not a hard thing to do. Uh, you can talk to your kids in the driveway. Don't touch one another. Don't touch uh, common surfaces, but still have a conversation. Uh, wear the mask. Uh, you know, that's even more appropriate. All of that can be done, and, but but you're still protecting one another if you're doing that. So you're being good to your family if you're maintaining your distance. You're being good to your family if you're wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. You're being good to your family if you're uh, not not uh, you know inviting them over for a barbecue, uh, you know, in, in large numbers and saying, well, let's just do what, whatever we feel like doing. Uh, those are not the right things to do right now, and I think the, the nice weather will will you know empower people to uh, to do more outside. That's a good thing. Just do it at a safe distance. That's the key. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, thank you for this, Mr. Mayor. We'll uh, stay in touch. I'll probably talk again in a few days. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As we've been telling you, we are not out of the woods yet. And uh, there was some concern among some of the elected leaders that uh, even though they've said, and for many weeks now, talked about flattening the curve and maybe starting to lift some of these restrictions, uh, the number of confirmed cases uh, seems to be inching up again, so much so that uh, Premier Ford uh, said this yesterday. If you feel you need a test, you'll be able to get a test. So please don't wait. Our assessment centers are ready to receive you. And uh, anybody who thinks they should be tested uh, can be tested. Uh, It's a bit of a different twist. It's a different uh, twist on the policy that's been in place for quite some time. How feasible is this? And, uh, you know, and how effective would testing be if it was done on a more massive scale like this? Joining us to talk about this is uh, Dr. Todd Coleman, who is a Ph.D. assistant professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Wilfrid Laurier University. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Let's let's uh, a number of different things, Doctor. I want to talk to you about this, and let's let's talk with the testing. I mean, we were told initially uh, when this was going on that look, there's a problem here with the number of tests that are available. So let's limit this to frontline workers, uh, people that may you know have a, a, a an impact on this. We seem to have broadened that now. I, if you can read into the Premier's announcement now, uh, he seems to be saying if you think you need a test, you can get a test. Uh, that's the good news, I suppose. I, I didn't know we had jet racked it up that high. But what information and how effective is that information going to be with us? Uh, the information has to be uh, what Premier Four said is, yeah, what you said, anyone who needs a test should get a test. Now, that needs to be conveyed to all of the other channels that people are accessing uh, mm-hmm. in case they have concern or want to access a test. So that means... This also has to be the same consistent message with each public health unit across the province and also uh, with uh, telehealth, which is uh, one of the gateways for, for testing that's been put on the ministry's website. So, and, and I know that this is already going on in various degrees. Uh, talking to somebody who's a frontline worker uh, just over the weekend, and they're tested, I think, almost on a daily basis, and they're monitored uh, three or four times a day. I guess that's through uh, thermometers and things of this nature to make sure that there's no exposure to the virus. But but even now, uh, is this going to overwhelm the system if, if everybody just starts lining up and says, I want to be tested, I want to be tested, you know, I, I, I want to make sure I don't have this? It doesn't seem like it because we've consistently been below the capacity of our, our testing yeah. capabilities in Ontario. Usually uh, it's ranged from about 30% of uh, capacity to 50%. And if we still have that room to grow, we can still add all of those uh, extra people that would want to get tested. 
is this, and I, I don't want to try to get into the premier's head or the medical officer of health head as well, but uh, is this an, a, an attempt to try to catch some of those asymptomatic carriers that, that may not be showing any indication at all that they have the virus, but they, they certainly are carrying it and, and potential uh, passing it on to, uh, to other people? Yeah, this is sort of, in my opinion, the testing strategy that should have been implemented two months ago because uh, the early information about the virus, we've been talking about this for several months now, is that there's a large proportion of people who are asymptomatic, there's those who have low symptoms, and those who are the severe critical symptoms. And the testing strategy that we had in place a couple months ago was only catching the critical people, which means that we're missing a really large profile of people uh, who could potentially be passing it on. And we're seeing that in the numbers. It's still spreading throughout the community. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any alleviation. And now that we're expanding testing, that seems to be able to catch all of these uh, different profiles of people who might have this. I, a lot of stuff I guess we're doing at this stage, well, we are getting much better data than we did back in February. We understand that because mm-hmm. there's a, a body of work that we can actually refer to here. But do you get the feeling, though, Doctor, that there's a, a lot more people out there that are asymptomatic uh, that would balloon these numbers if, in fact, they were all tested? Yeah. If we, if what we're going to see, I'd imagine, is uh, with more testing done on more uh, different types of people uh, in, with various forms of contact with other individuals, we're going to see a spike that's just inherent with uh, any testing strategy for any disease. The more you look for it, the more you're going to find it. And based on past uh, indications and results that we've got, uh, even if there is a spike, that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a huge influx in, into primary care facilities, hospitals and things of this nature, uh, because not everybody who has the virus uh, suffers the worst uh, you know, symptoms, I guess, and consequences of the virus. Uh, if, if, in fact, you test positive, uh, walk us through that. Is there a protocol that goes into place then? Clearly, okay, Mr. Smith or Ms. Smith, you've tested positive. Uh, go home and look after yourself. Or do we follow up with further testing? Uh, from from what I'm aware of, because there's a lot of different scenarios in, the, in that case, a lot of times uh, the suggestion is to uh, quarantine yourself, so mm-hmm. social distance, and really monitor your own symptoms and contact a, a provider if anything seems to worsen. Uh, and that seems to be what the general consensus is at this point, because otherwise, if people are just, uh, as soon as they test positive, trying to access uh, care or go to a hospital, it will overwhelm the system. So obviously, there's going to be, I don't want to say it's like snowflakes, everybody's different, but I mean, there are going to be varying degrees of this and how it's going to impact it. Uh, does it also, if you get this test, doctor, does it indicate that you did have it or that you have it currently? It, it's a little fuzzy because what it's testing for is, uh, it's called the real-time PCR test, which is okay. testing for the genetic material of the virus which doesn't necessarily mean uh, that it is live portions of the virus. Uh, so it could have already been in your system, uh, and some of the dead virus is still circulating, uh, but it could also mean that you have an active form of the, of the infection. Uh, and again, I guess the symptoms that you're experiencing would make that determination as to just how severe it is or whether or not. Uh, have we made a determination yet about, about the buildup of antibodies? I've heard mixed reviews about that, that people that have had the virus and have been tested subsequent to that and saying, yes, we are developing antibodies, which is encouraging if it's happening. But is, is it consistently happening? 
Yeah, there's still the the research is still uh, out on that whether or not it seems as if most people are developing antibodies, and then the next next thing that needs to happen is testing whether or not those antibodies are effective against uh, fighting the infection itself. So th- that's a work in progress, I guess, at this stage, is it? It is yeah. to make that determination how this is going on. Uh, and I think you and I talked about this a couple of days ago too, about the you know to mask or not to mask. And some people are saying, well, how come you said no and now you're saying yes? It's the, uh, the short answer to that is we know more than we did in, in four months ago, and, and you know we're learning about the way that this is spreading, and and some of the mitigating effects. Uh, are you concerned about the stories you hear, doctor, about the number of people that are not using PPE? I am because it's it's a very very stark difference. If everyone was to wear a mask. The, the, the chances and the probability of transmission is reduced by a very, very significant proportion. I think it said the probability of transmission becomes one or one and a half percent. This is from some research from about a month ago, uh, whereas it's much, much higher if not everyone is staying consistent. So I think I am concerned that people aren't uh, uh, using personal protective equipment. And really, it'll help make a huge dent if people do. Well, I know that uh, as people look at stats from different parts of the world, and uh, they, they'll point to some of the countries that did a much better job of containing the virus, and, and oftentimes they're pointing to a couple of Asian countries, South Korea and, and well, mm-hmm. Hong Kong to a certain extent. Uh, any pictures you saw of the people in, in the streets back in those days, everybody's got personal equi- equipment on. I mean, they're all wearing masks, all wearing right. gloves. It, it, and, and I know in some jurisdictions it was mandatory, but well, it sure made a difference, didn't it? It did. It definitely did. And they had much more rigorous approaches to testing as well. Like you mentioned earlier, testing for fever uh, uh, at the outset of almost everybody who's in a public setting. That really, fever is the the main symptom of uh, a disinfection, and that will help catch a very, very large proportion of people. Uh, if you can find a thermometer in a store. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, they talked about the toilet paper shortage. I, was, I haven't seen a thermometer on a store shelf for months now. No. Uh, but but they're a very effective way of doing that. And even if it's just a low-grade fever, I mean, that can be an indication as well. But we, I guess, sometimes get caught up in, in some of the data that we do have. Uh, and we start checking off boxes and saying, well, these are the symptoms that doctors say we should be looking for. I've only got two of those, so I probably don't have it. That's, that's, is that a, a safe assumption, or should we just say if you've even got one of them, follow up? I would say even one, yes, follow up, because uh, a fever might be uh, indicative that you're in the profile of people who have minimal symptoms, that maybe it doesn't progress into uh, a full-blown respiratory illness or the other things that we've been hearing about but it might still mean that you're passing on the virus if you're heading out in public, even going to the grocery store, being in contact with another individual. I, I got a couple of minutes and wanted to ask uh, uh, to get your read on, on the vaccinations again, because there's a lot of information. I think a lot of misinformation that's still out there about this. I, I, I think most people seem to be of the, the opinion that, look, it is going to take a while. There's no good, notwithstanding what they're hearing from south of the border, there's no magical cure that's just going to land on our laps right now and we're going to be able to get this thing going. But there is a great deal of research going on in all, in all parts of the world uh, toward that end, and some are, are further along than others. But maybe you could just walk us through that process about the testing that has to go on. They can't just say, hey, I think this is the one. Uh, let's start injecting people. Because I know that one of the tests that was done, and I guess is done with every medication, are, are what are the side effects? In other words, it may, in fact, have some effect on, on the virus that we're talking about. 
but it's only going to take time and, pa- and passage of time, isn't it, doctor, to make a determination as to what other things that, that quote-unquote vaccine might do to our bodies? Yes, that's right. The, the process for clinical trials for vaccines is just, it's a very uh, a thoughtful, drawn-out process that starts usually with seeing what it looks like in, in actual cell cultures, so no, no animals or humans involved. Uh, then it's usually passed on to uh, animal models, and then it goes into small groups of humans, which some of them are at at this point, some of the ones that we've seen in the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they stagger it higher and higher uh, to larger and larger groups until they can really see what's going on. And that way, the, the, the time that is needed is really to see the long-term effects of what's going on, long-term immunity, long-term side effects that could potentially happen with this. Uh, it's really necessary for a vaccine to go through that because uh, if we just start injecting people uh, without seeing long-term consequences, it could be potentially disastrous. Well, and there is, I, I, I was going to ask if there's an average amount of time for this. I get, well, I, the protocol says it's going to be about a year, year and a half, which I guess uh, is going to give them time to do this because some of these side effects uh, the, are going to take some, long, uh, some period of time, I would think, to manifest themselves. That's right. Usually, uh, on average, uh, from the most recent estimates, excluding the stuff that we've seen so far with uh, coronavirus, uh, the average time for a vaccine to be developed is usually four to five years. Uh, And they're saying that the earliest we can do it now is 18 months. Uh, And whether that's enough time to see the long-term effects is, is debatable. Um, but we'll, we'll, if they're starting now, we'll start seeing some effects within several months and hopefully nothing long-term manifests of that. Uh, because there have been historically some, some terrible stories about what has happened. Uh, mm-hmm. The attempts for an HIV vaccine a number of years ago, too, that everybody thought was on the right road. And then, sadly, some of the people in those tests, I guess, ended up dying. And, and maybe the most famous one is thalidomide, which was supposed to be a, a wonder drug for women experiencing tough times during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where, how did they not catch the fact that that was going to cause some severe physical deformities in babies? That, that's mostly uh, from the fact that we didn't have the rigorous system set up for clinical trials. Yeah. That we this this was the late 1950s, we should mention to our yeah. audience who may not remember that. And, and, and it was, it was uh, uh, caught. There's a whole bunch of different reasons for, for uh, why it might not have been pulled earlier than it was. Uh, but once the, the research was put in place to see, yeah, that almost everyone who had uh, any uh, uh, side effects in their, in their babies uh, were those who were taking that drug. They found that out relatively quickly once they actually started studying it, but it was being released on a, a mass mass scale and, well and I suppose the, the you know the result here is that's part of the protocol that's in place for now is as a result of that they take extra precautions or the FDA down in the states and of course Health Canada up here are, are pretty fastidious I would imagine about following the steps in, in this uh, the development of a vaccine yes they're they're very very cautious about not trying to skip or rush something. Uh, in case uh, something we, we haven't really foreseen might happen. Because the thing with this also is that no coronavirus vaccine has ever been developed. So other types of coronaviruses, uh, there's never been a successful vaccine for them. So this is uncharted territory. 
yet there seems to be some progress made uh, in, in different parts. Uh, you know, we've talked about one of the Canadian tests out in this Nova Scotia, I believe it is, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a couple down in New England uh, that seem to be working, uh, and also, of course, in China. Are you surprised at, at, at the speed with which they seem to be moving along? Uh, I'm not surprised at the speed. Uh, the, the investments that have been going are the government, uh, especially the government of Canada, uh, I've seen through the university networks that I'm a part of, uh, the treatments and vaccines, uh, the funding went into that almost immediately at the end of February and in March. Um, and a lot of funding and a lot of activity has been happening there. So it doesn't surprise me that it's happening so quickly. Um, but again, the, the phases of the trial will be a little bit of a longer uh, slog. Well, and we'll be following that very closely. And in the meantime, and I know it sounds very elementary and maybe too elementary for some people to think just doing that is actually going to stop the spread of this. But uh, the protocol is pretty simple, isn't it? Wash your hands, social distancing, and, uh, and you know, just be careful about these sorts of things. And it seems to, it seems to have worked. That's right. And, and wear a mask, Dr. Tam says. Yep. Wear a mask now. So uh, however ridiculous you think you might look in public, I think there's going to be a lot of us out there with them. Yeah, myself included. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> doctor, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time again today, Doctor. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Yeah, thanks so much again. Dr. Todd Coleman from uh, the Health Sciences at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University Department, who's uh, well-versed in, in these sorts of research projects. And hopefully, as he says, we're going to get some positive answers about this, but not in the next couple of weeks or months. In the meantime, wear the equipment, the gloves, the masks, And let's not get stupid like a lot of us did this past weekend around southern Ontario. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. They're uh, back to work in Parliament Hill today. Well, such as it is, it's been a revised parliamentary session because of what's happening with COVID-19. And uh, notwithstanding uh, the aggravations uh, that uh, the Conservatives seem to be expressing these days, uh, both the uh, opposition parties, the other opposition parties, uh, they being the Bloc, the Green Party, and the NDP, uh, seem to think what's going on now is working. What this means, of course, is there are some virtual sessions. I, mean, I guess we've seen some of the highlights of that over the last couple of days. Uh, and also these live sessions, which only has a handful of MPs in the building. And uh, many of them who live a far distance away from Parliament Hill and from Ottawa have not taken part in any of those simply because of the travel restrictions, right? But they say it is what it is. And uh, Andrew Shear has complained about this, I guess, pretty much on a daily basis. Uh, the Prime Minister was asked about this at his uh, daily briefing on Friday about, you know, when is this going to change? And this is what he had to say. There will have to be a way for uh, parliamentarians across the country to express the concerns and ask questions on behalf of their constituents. These are the kinds of things that we're working out. And I know uh, just as we have been able to sit uh, over the past weeks, three times a week, uh, and continue the functioning of our parliament, uh, we will be able to continue that into the coming weeks. So that's the way it stands right now. It's probably not going to make Andrew Scheer very happy, but uh, uh, a number of the other leaders seem to be okay with the status quo for the time being anyway. One way or another, they're going to have to get some business done today when they finally do meet. So what's the session going to look like? How productive is it going to be? Henry Jasek, professor of political science at McMaster University, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, talk about this. Henry, how are you feeling today? Just great, Bill. Good, good. Uh, always interesting when Parliament gets back into session after a little bit of time off. Uh, the complaints from the Conservatives and from Mr. Shear in particular have been pretty consistent, uh, seem to be suggesting that uh, that this is a very non-productive uh, process that they're doing right now. Yet when I hear the comments from uh, from the other leaders, uh, they seem to be pretty much okay with it for, th- for the time being anyway. Yeah, well, they have uh, some nuanced uh, 
responses, but you're right. This deal with the conservatives, they're essentially making a procedural argument uh, to try to slow down the government uh, and what it does, um, which I don't think is probably good on their, uh, you know, for their fortunes, because essentially the po- we've seen surveys where people really do not appreciate procedural arguments at this point. They they are focused on substance. So we'll see. That's that's the way Shear wants to go. There is some grumbling in the conservatives, you know, behind Shear saying, I mean, he's he's really, uh, you know, he he's not going to stay there for very long, and he's basically, you know, alienating parts of the population, good parts of the population. Um, the the NDP has got agrees with what the procedural things that the liberals want to do, but they want to get uh, they want they're staking out some substantive grounds that they think are very important, and that is. Uh, funding for people who become ill, uh, workers who become ill during um, the immediate future up until the end of August, I believe, so that people on sick leave will get, get have, be able to receive uh, money to basically live on, uh, and also for people on disabilities. So they're appealing to those two groups, saying those two groups have been left out of adequate funding uh, if, for the immediate future, and they want the government to sort of commit to that. I suspect that they might get some sort of principle to do something about it without any details, and the NDP will support the the procedures that the liberals want, uh, have put in place because the NDP has said it's it's very clearly that it's in favor of those procedures. The Bloc, uh, very con- con- um, confusing uh, position. Uh, they they agree with the procedures, but they want to show that they're you know they're against the uh, things that the liberals want to do because they're ignoring important things that ought to be dealt with and you listen to them after a while and about the only thing i get out of it is they want to have tax new tax breaks for small business in quebec that seems to be their only substantive argument that i heard very clearly uh recently so but they're relatively unimportant if the ndp goes along with the liberals they don't really need the block and, and i expect and- that they will Henry, in situations like this, are, do, do the political leaders look at the polls? Because there have been some sub- substantial polling done over the last little while about how the government's operating, how the government's mm-hmm. handling some of these issues. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, Trudeau's approval rating has skyrocketed in the last five weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's true. So, yeah, the, the, uh, it's frustrating, I think, for the, for the other parties because they want to get some credit, you know, for doing some good things in this uh, uh, in in the pandemic uh, that we're suffering, but uh, Trudeau seems to be getting all the accolades for uh, for doing things. Well, therein lies the problem, I guess, for some of the opposition leaders. The way things have run for the last little while, the you know the the morning briefings that usually tend to run forty five minutes to an hour uh, with questions and answers, as well as whatever statement he's making, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got the limelight. I know that Andrew Shear has a, has a, an availability on some of the networks. I think an hour before that, and Jagmeet Singh takes to that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's that's his prime time, and and there's no debate that's going on right now. He makes announcements about where the money's going to go, and I I can understand how the opposition leaders are frustrated by this, but. But, uh, you know, if what the, Mr. Shearer is asking for is to just let's get everybody back, or at least as many people as we can back into Parliament, uh, the people that are supposedly the health experts are saying we can't be doing that just yet. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that may be satisfying you, Mr. Shearer, but it's not not going to help. It's not going to be. It's not going to flatten the curve. It's going to cause some concerns. And, and to that point, Henry, I'm hearing a lot of concerns from a number of MPs that say we're not ready to go back like that. No, I, I agree with you. And certainly, uh, I mean, 
the, the idea that Shear has that to declare all the MPs uh, essential workers so they will go back to work, but it ignores the risk that many of them have to put you know put up with, particularly those who are out west and in the north. They have a lot of long plane flights, and who knows what happens on a plane flight <laughs> when you when you're with other people. You've got to go through air terminals, and so yeah, it is it it puts people at risk. Uh, some people at risk, which at this point, given technology, is that really necessary? And the government has decided it's not really necessary. You can involve the MPs in different ways. Uh, and uh, the NDP agrees with that as well. So, and I think the public probably, uh, as far as I could tell, agrees with that as, as well. So I, I just think Shear's just barking up the wrong tree at this point, but we'll see. Well, maybe he doesn't understand the travel restrictions. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but don't, well, you may he, recall there was that plane that was supposed to go and pick, uh, I think it was Elizabeth May uh, and two or three other MPs from Saskatchewan and, and, and Mr. Shearer, and I guess he piled his whole family on there and basically blew the whole thing about social distancing out of the way. But uh, yes. uh, thankfully, I guess nobody actually contracted the virus, but it was uh, very much against protocol. Yes. How productive can the, these kinds of sessions be, though, Henry? Well, the committees, I think, are important, and I think uh, there are very important issues that, that I do think that the government has to deal with and that people aren't really, which they have not really been addressing. They've been so concerned, and I understand why, uh, immediate problems, because there's a lot of suffering and anxiety that's going on now, but there's some big problems that, you know, that they really haven't been talking about, and they're not that far away to deal with. It. I mean, the, the talk of, a, you know, People talking about a second surge next winter. We need some sort of plan to deal with a big surge next winter. Some some of the medical people said this is likely to be worse than what we had this winter. Uh, they point out that what happened in the influenza from uh, 1918, 1921, where the second surge in the winter was was really was worse than the first. So they're very worried about that. Um, so we need a plan of how we're going to deal with it, and part of it, I think, involves looking at what we did uh, in the in the with dealing with the first surge, and and making sure we don't repeat some of the mistakes that were made, and we do the the good things that we know we have to do, and uh, and have a plan in place, uh, and with the in which the federal and provincial government together, uh, uh, you know, will work on. Uh, and there's other issues that they have to deal with, and I think even though this is not a federal issue, but I think it becomes it indirectly, is we know that the big, big problem in this country has been deaths, and the 80 per, about 80 percent of the deaths have been in things like nursing homes, long-term care, retirement homes. Now, that is a provincial responsibility, but but we know that the provinces just don't see that they have the money to do major changes in, in dealing with those type of facilities where you're going to have to close down some because they're just inadequate, uh, that you're going to have to have new, you're going to have to have new facilities built that are basically, you know, for the most part, single rooms uh, for people uh, with their own, wa- with their own uh, uh, washroom facilities. You're going to have, you, you know, you, you, you're going to have to, there's going to have to be money for that, and the, and the provinces feel they probably don't have the money to do a lot of that. And that that's going to have to be done, I think, at some point, because uh, we all know that basically having two or f- two people or four people, all strangers in the same room, uh, sharing the room and sharing the same bathroom, that is a, that's a recipe for disaster, as well as dealing with the whole problem of having adequate support for support workers so they feel they can work in one place and they don't have to go in to, to another place and thereby, you know, tr- transfer... Uh, can, 
infections from one from one institution to another. So they need to, and I think the federal government's going to have to come up with some money to to help out to help out the provinces to deal with this. You know, there's other things too we're going to have to face with. You also, some people may think it's not all that important, but an interesting one is uh, sports teams. I mean, if if we're going to if we're going to want uh, people coming up here to play in the professional sports teams and to have a four a fourteen to twelve to fourteen day quarantine before they can play, well, that means the end of our our our, our professional sports of our major leagues, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about the hockey, basketball, or baseball. So they have to decide what you know whether what are they going to do about that because it is com- it is going to be a, an issue before too long. Um, the the governor of uh, New York has already given the okay for the New York sports teams to start practicing. Uh, so we're we're going to have to deal with that issue. And really, it's uh, so it it is an issue. There's a decision is going to have to be made on that. So that that that's another type of decision uh, policy the government's going to have to look at. So I think there's three three big issues at least. Oh, not to mention even airlines. I don't think. Yeah. Our airlines are going to have to be restructured. I don't think we're, we're going to be able to get our, you know, our airlines are not going to look the same as they did before this pandemic. People are just too scared to go on them. I mean, that may, and maybe, you know, six years from now that may be different, but that is certainly not going to be different over the next two, three, four years. And I think the government has to decide what kind of industry, airline industry it really wants in this country. There have been some concerns, though, about the the virtual system that they're doing, and and right. you know, from a security standpoint, uh, you know, can they be hacked? I you know mm-hmm. is 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 uh, Henry Jasek's vote really Henry Jasek's vote, or somebody hacked that? And you know, yeah. and and I know those that, that, that nobody's saying it is happening, but the possibility is is much greater. Obviously, doing it this way than than mm-hmm. actually having people in in the hall at the same time. Uh, all the problems that can be addressed, but what we keep hearing, and I, I, those are legitimate concerns, but what we keep hearing from the health experts is, look, at this is the way it has to be for now. It's what other governments are doing. I know that uh, in, in the U.K., they've got a few more members, a lot more members, I guess, than in their parliament than we do. Of course, they have a lot more members in parliament than we do here in Canada, almost double the number, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in the U.K. For, right. for the number of people that represent there. So I, I can see a discussion, Henry, about, okay, maybe we can allow for a few more uh, gradually to get into this, but it's going to be a while before we get back to, to the idea of full complement or even just the, every second seat uh, being filled like that. Uh, we're told that with this concern about that second wave, that would not be the most prudent thing to do. That, that's right. I agree with you entirely. And I think we have to recognize the way our parties and uh, interact in Parliament. The basic deals are made between the leaders and House leaders, uh, you know, so we're not talking about a lot of people. I mean, if the leader and the house leader and some of the senior members just decide this is where a party should go, well, the, the, the backbenchers go along with it. It doesn't matter which party it is. So it, you know, you don't need you don't need every last vote all the time uh, to to make decisions inside the parliament. Uh, you know, so it, it this is just, I mean, this idea that everybody has to be there. And uh, even the asking of questions, we know the the House leaders and the leaders decide who in their party asks the questions and what they ask. So it it uh, generally, and so there is not is that much freedom for the individual members to really get up there and talk about what they want to talk about. So you know, it's uh, it, it's not this. It's an old-fashioned idea that somehow we have all these independent members who are going to represent their constituencies and are going to ask the burning questions that their own constituencies are interested in. It's just, that's just not the way 
the Parliament works even when they're all there. There have been a number of essays and op-ed pieces written over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure you've read all of them, Henry, that are suggesting that even when we come out the other side of this, whenever that's going to be, that this is going to change the way that we do business, Mm -hmm. not just in business, but in politics as well. Do do you think it's going to have that much of an impact? Yeah, well, I think it will certainly for for a period. I mean, the the biggest problem is we don't know how long this is going to last and how bad it's going to last and when are we going to get a... A vaccine, and you know that's all up in the air to get get a safe and effective vaccine. So it, there's so much uncertainty out of that, and then and that of course what really that really affects you know average you know the average person. So that you know people are worrying going to worry about you know where's how safe is my income going to be over the next three to four years? Because am I, how safe am I, am I and my family going to be in health terms over the next three to four years? And all of that, that you know, I think for two-thirds of the population, that makes that, the population scared, timid, uh, afraid, basically afraid of doing you know, the type of shopping and traveling that they normally would do. Um, it makes them, as I've <clears throat> talked to you about this concept, they're going to hoard money because they don't know how, how, how much money they're going to have over the next three to four years. They just can't plan because it's all up in the air. And uh, the health, of course, they don't, they're responding to death rates particularly. And that's why I'm saying if, you know, if the government needs to really attack this whole thing of, uh, you know, the um, long-term care homes and, and retirement homes and get, really get that, those death rates down because, I mean, it's tragic for the families and for the people that it hits them. But what it has is a really big effect on everybody else. It says, oh, my God, I'm, I and my family are in a mortal danger here, and we just basically got to pull, you know, like a turtle, pull our, put up, pull our head and legs right into the shell and, you know, not, not do what we normally do. And, of course, that makes, you know, the whole society become very, very different. And, uh, and tragically for, uh, you know, a lot of uh, businesses, it's, it's going to be the end. It's going to be the curtains a lot. A lot of nice, hard-working people who do innovative things in the business sector are going to lose their businesses, and I, I don't over the next three years, and it's, it's, that's going to be tragic. But it's because the demand's not going to be there. People are just going to be so scared to go out and 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 shop and and spend money in 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 an aggregate way as they did before, and it's just not going to be sufficient, especially since many of these businesses basically don't, you know, basically can't survive on maybe 75 percent of the business they they had before exactly difficult times ahead for sure and uh, we'll see what uh, the prime minister and uh, the parliament's got to do about it uh, yeah, today they, they have to well, deal with those problems i mean absolutely and they have to convince the population is we're going to try to do deal with the risk that's coming up the health risk and and the financial risks in a situation where there's tremendous uncertainty, and they have to take measures and do things that, the, that gives the public confidence that they're going to be able to get through this better than they might think now. Henry Jasek at McMaster University. As always, Henry, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you again Great today. Great talking to you, Bill. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.